Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our concepts edition for the week. I'm Devin Bodoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And you have a quote for us? I do. Um, We do these things not because they are easy, but because we thought they would be easy. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that one come from again? I don't remember. I think it was like on the wall in a shop tour or something. Uh And I think I heard it on a podcast recently, but I'm trying to think. Anyway. Yeah, it cracked me up um, because I mean, obviously, it's referring to referencing the the more famous quote. Uh, What's the more famous one again? We do these things not because we they are easy, but because they are hard. Right, right. Going to the moon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I I just feel like a lot of projects, and a lot of like uh, I don't know if you listen to uh, how I built this. Every once in a while, yeah. But I feel like a lot of people, entrepreneurs. Uh, or people who do big ambitious projects are like, if I knew then what I knew now, I wouldn't have started. Yeah. (laughs) Which is always interesting because it sort of suggests that being um, like ignorant is maybe helpful, but then also being knowledgeable. Sweet spot. (laughs) There's a sweet spot. Yeah. It's (laughs) like, I was so knowledgeable. I didn't start the thing. And yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like as a business progresses, we, you sort of like transition from one to the next. Yeah. And like the ignorance allows you to start. And then hopefully the lack of ignorance allows you to become efficient and like successful by not trying to do every little thing yourself. Right. But without that ignorance, yeah, you would just go get a job because it makes more sense at someone else's company. For yeah. sure. Now you look at, I mean, I look at salaries that are available and it's a, it's just so impressive uh-huh. that people, I mean, those were all businesses that people started, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, they can pay that out to how many people and still be profitable. Very yeah. impressive. I marvel at that often too of, you know, even like little mom and pops and they'll like, whatever, a hardware store or something, I'll walk 100%. in and like <clears throat> do a little quick mental math and I'll be like, damn, they're moving some money through this place. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it <clears throat> makes you feel, uh, on the one hand, I am finally starting to feel like we're accomplishing some things in terms of revenue. And yeah. and then, you know, I look at things like that on a daily basis and I'm like, oh, we are just so small and uh, so far to go. Yeah. It's interesting also. I mean, I look at um, like exciting businesses and then like boring businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think a big issue that I 100% fall into Mm. is pursuing something that's interesting. There are so many awesome businesses out there for like mundane, unpleasant tasks (laughs) that no one's really made efficient. (laughs) And then also no one, it's not glamorous. So no one's like, I saw saw a van yesterday. Like I was waiting for a stop sign, waiting at a stop sign. And this van drove in front of me and it, <clears throat> it was a company that just goes around and cleans up dog poop off of people's yards. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, one, it's a little wild that we've gotten to a point where like <laughs> you can't just do that for yourself, uh-huh. but also like, I guess way to go enterprising person. Like if people want to pay for it and you're willing yeah. to do it and you probably charge a premium. Yeah. Like trash removal, plumbing. I mean, plumbing right now is crazy like yeah. the trades are just so short on staff and so yeah. if you show up and do semi-decent work yeah. you can kind of charge whatever you want yeah you make really good money yeah well, i know several people right now who are switching from white collar 
careers to into the trades. Yeah. Um, for a variety of reasons, not just monetary. Like actually, m- money's probably lowest on the like mm. priority list. Um, more to do with interest and not wanting to sit at a desk all day and just yeah. do something different with their hands. Um, but yeah, quite a few folks that I know are in the process of transitioning their careers and their, you know, late twenties, early thirties being like, Oh, this wasn't all it's cracked up to be. And yeah, very competitive, I think. And interesting. Yeah. Someone called me out of the blue, not totally out of the blue. There was a mutual connection. Um, but I'd never met them. They're interested in potentially working for us, switching from being a software programmer, Hmm. like they're a software programmer, they have a 3d printer at home that they started doing stuff. And we're like, I think I want to make stuff. Um, and I guess the software developer labor market is very challenging right now. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Um, there's a, uh, I heard, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I sort of knew that, but yeah. And they were basically like, yeah, want to get out of this business. And I mean, basically what happened with offshoring in like the seventies yeah. and eighties, right. It's like, oh, this can be done really cheap over there. Yeah. Why are we doing it here? Yeah. Very few reasons, especially because software is very easy to transport across the world. Right. Namely, like, hit send. Yeah. (laughs) It does. Um, And then you crash a Boeing 737. Potentially. Was that? I don't know if that was directly related, but... I think there were a lot of onshore issues as well. There were onshore issues. The global issue, I think, is maybe was sort of at the root of that of though of like lack of oversight outsourcing things that needed to you know have like very clear eyes on interesting so- i, I like know very wise. little about it um i'm probably speaking out of turn here but <laughs> anyway but i guess that is not what people listen to this podcast <laughs> we're not a software development <laughs> podcast um <laughs> yeah so I was talking to someone recently. Yeah. I've been trying to get more people on the continuous improvement train, Mm -hmm. which I guess is partly why we have this podcast. Sort of the name of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And sort of made a slight breakthrough, and I'm not exactly sure why. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been talking to this person for a little while. Uh, It does seem like this whole thing is a slow burn. Yeah. Like you hear it once, you hear it twice. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big part of it. It's like, that, yeah, Toyota's amazing. Blah blah blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, one thing that I realized, which I think is worth thinking about, is that, and I, I sort of talked to them about it, and uh, it's basically that like any rational person mm-hmm. will really not do continuous improvement because if you're taking an eighth of your day away from doing the task and instead use it to improve how you do the task Mm -hmm. for the next, unless it's a major improvement for the next, you know, three months easily, you will just be behind. Mm -hmm. But after that you see very substantial gains. Like by year three, you're like three years ahead or five years ahead of where you would have been. But there's this valley between, between where you're at now and like, any sort of benefit to the company yeah so i think it kind of makes sense that fewer that that not like you look at this stuff and the results people have and it's just constantly a little bit shocking to me yeah i had a 
guy come through the shop. I had no idea who he was. Turns out he ran runs an R and D lab for battery chemistry. Ah. At a major car company. Uh-huh. And I showed him Kanban in the shop and he was like, Oh man, we gotta do this. Like right now they're writing supplies on whiteboards of like, hey, we ran out of this, oh we oh. also ran out of this, which is a much better system than no system at all, but yeah. it's still way not, not nearly as good as Kanban, where you can then track on the card, like yeah. where you ordered it last time, how much you paid, what the date you ordered it, you know, mm-hmm. how long it, whatever, all the stuff you can do with Kanban. It, you can really, yeah, the traditional, I mean, in many ways, the simple Kanban is great, but if you get into it, like, yeah, you can embed so much information in that yeah i've started writing right on the kanban like when i order stuff i'll write the date and the price just so that next time i don't have to go like shopping or like if i shop around for price a bit you sort of get a sense of how much it will cost right but like when you go back you don't remember how much you paid last time and so it's very easy to go like oh well is it cheaper over here or is it cheaper over here yeah so if I, anyway, so I started writing that and like when I ordered it, I saw, I'm trying, I'm trying to think who it was, but they wrote when it was ordered and then when it came in, right? Cause like when you do the fulfillment, like when it arrives and you restock the yeah. item, you can write on the back of the card how, like when it came in. Mm. And so you can start to see general lead times, yeah. which is kind of, anyway, there's a lot of useful stuff, but it was a little bit mind blowing to me <laughs> that this is like a major car company yeah, and there's still like such a lack of, um, and there's zero focus on process improvement, essentially, huh. right? It's sort of like that single loop learning versus double loop learning. I think most of the world is engaged in single loop learning, which is we yeah. have an objective, does this thing get us closer to that objective? And very few people zoom out one step or take much time out of their day to zoom out and say, how are we going about the total process and is there improvement right. to be made? Yeah, focusing just on the what would you call it kind of like the the core product and not the creation of the core product yeah as a process of it and as a whole yeah and i mean similar with like the a3 stuff is like most people start two-thirds into the process yeah including me i mean (laughs) it's like very rare to take any time and definitely not 60 percent of the time to like really think through like root cause and not, you know, root causes. Yeah. Uh, Current state documentation. Yeah. Like yeah. kind of like, yes, yes, yes. Like <laughs> we know it. Yeah. We know we, that we're here every day. Right. <laughs> right. No, what I really need to know is, you know, can we buy a pallet jack to load these j- pallets onto the shelves faster? Yeah. It's not like, well, why do we have pallets? Right. <laughs> why do we need to put them on the shelf? Mm-hmm. What? Um, my brother uh, has this issue where he's been, he's been complaining about, um, rightfully so, because yeah. his company is not interested in improving anything, oh. seemingly. And the company likes to inventory, like hold a lot of inventory in the store. And the result is that you're going like unstacking a pallet, then restacking the pallet. Uh-huh. And it takes like 40 minutes. And the more stuff you need to they count add, everything on the pallet, no, to get what you need to restock the shelves because they like keeping a lot of inventory in the store instead of even though they're doing weekly deliveries. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's amazing the inertia of established systems. And like as I run a business, I do get it. 
like because changing systems takes a lot of work yeah so it's on the one hand it's kind of understandable that companies like once they have something working they like i mean it comes back to sort of smed principles right yeah once they have something working they like do not want to change it right and i get it like it's a lot of work to change and at the same time it's like oh it's just like walking through mud in those companies yeah all the time every single day up to your knees and then basically asking the people walking in the mud to walk a little faster yeah it's like (laughs) this sucks and you give me no agency to change it and i know how to change it and you give me no time to change it yeah and i'm not measured on like can i at least have a shovel to clear my path no we don't (laughs) have money for shovels yeah lift your feet higher (laughs) just take bigger steps um so i I'm reading Toyota Kata, which mm-hmm. I'm quite enjoying. Um, and is that what you played me a clip from? The yeah, yeah, just a minute ago. Yeah, I'll so check it out. That was all about, um, I guess, like system, like uh, ROI accounting, like sort of making rational decisions, which I think is sort of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Companies making rational decisions, looking at ROI. And what they say in that book um, is basically that if you do ROI analysis to drive your decision making, yeah, the long term effect in the company tends to be um, make like focusing on on like for example car parts, and this is what GM was doing for many years, was saying like how many man hours do we have per part, and that was the focus per department. And so the ROI on a big piece of equipment had to do with like focusing on uptime of that piece of equipment. Right. Turns out when you focus on uptime, then the next effect is changeovers reduce your total uptime. And so there's a decrease in changeovers because, you know, we have this thing running well, let's just run it Mm -hmm. a ton. And then the production, the, the parts produced hit those KPIs really well because they have very low man hours per part. It's the, now you have a the, ton of parts. The, the goal example of yeah. their accounting. Yeah, classic classic yeah. mass production. Yeah, and then um, then you have a lot of inventory, and that inventory is accounted for as an asset rather yep. than a huge cost. Yep. Um, and so it's interesting, again, like rationally speaking, from a day-to-day perspective, the all of the incentives are sort of against... All of the easy metrics suggest that you should not do continuous improvement. Right. Because tomorrow you will be worse off. Yes. <laughs> but as a total operating system and management system, it turns out that companies that do it far outperform by like <clears throat> year with TPS. It's typically like year two and year three where people start to see multiples on uh-huh. their revenue yeah. or profit. Yeah. Uh, with um, theory of constraints, I think it tends to be like six months to a year mm-hmm. where there's substantial gains in profits. Um, so I think like, I think theory of constraints is very interesting for that reason, which yeah. is that I think it's a big ask to get a company on board and say like, hey, you need to be patient. You're not really going to see results until <laughs> year two. Right. 
I think I, I would imagine you'd have a lot of people starting it, mm-hmm. but then by three months in, you know, quarter one, quarter, you know, Q1 after starting Q2, it's sort of like yeah. a lack of emphasis there. Let's get back on like yeah. a focus on what makes us money kind of thinking. I think it's really interesting to, I think it's beneficial or what, what's the word? I think it's simpler in a lot of ways to start this in a small company. Um, yeah. For a bunch of reasons. One, the inertia thing, not, not inertia of so many people and so many systems. Um, but also I think in a small company, the, the people doing the work and the people managing tend to be more in touch with the problems, I think, yeah. cause they're in your face every day and also probably are not <laughs> a lot of small companies are used to not really being profitable yet. <laughs> So if you're kind of like, you could not be profitable and have it suck, or you could not be profitable and like make your life a little bit better, it's a lot easier to kind of make that choice, I think. I think that's true. Yeah. I think like being so intimately familiar with the problems at the like production floor, whether yeah. that's information or yeah. yeah. Cause the owner is probably also doing production. Yeah. And, and you see the, ben- I think like the benefits become. Are they're just more like tangible and palpable. I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is very cool about starting it in a small company is the emphasis on systems thinking. It is a very easy system to wrap your head around in a small company yeah. or relatively. Yeah. Right. I can't imagine trying to do systems thinking on like general motors. Right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. yes, it's theoretically very similar. Mm hmm. But I'm sure structurally it is fairly complex. Yeah, and then and the trying, number of variables in play. Right? Yeah, and quite like high. Trying to then get from one place to the like to the your target condition would be yeah very complicated probably. Um, so it's yes. cool to see like in my case like I do sales, I also do production. It's very clear to me the effect of the sales department on the production floor. <laughs> and if there's a lack of leveling in one, you get yeah. huge inefficiencies in the other and big problems. Yeah. Right. And like that is not a new problem. Like any production company is going to say, yeah, like if the sales team goes like sells too much or too little, it's a mm-hmm. problem. But the feedback loop, like there's just yeah a lot less um, direct coupling there. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I read, I think it was the same book, may have been a different book about, um, automation, semi-automation and no automation and Mm -hmm. that there's a place for each at every company. Makes sense. In every, like even on a production line, you can say like this process should be automated. Yeah. This process we should semi-automate, right? Like you can think about like putting in a screw with a screwdriver, putting in a screw with a drill. Mm Mm-hmm putting in a screw with a drill with a screw loader yeah. putting and then putting a robot on that puts the screw in for you mm-hmm. or do you need the screw to begin with? But <laughs> um, <Huzzah. laughs> uh, anyway, I, I was thinking about it as it relates to our sales process because mm. I'm trying to shave time out of our sales process. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of programs that give you a fully automated solution. Yep. I'm not sure it's a solution or that it's suitable. Uh huh. In that it's like, fill out all your contact info, write a template email, and then we say, hi, name, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right, right. like that. And like that has its place and it's very efficient in one sense. On the other hand, it's, I'm not sure it's per, like. You probably lose a lot of potential. 
sales. Yeah, like I know when I so I, I've been messing around more with template emails, and I think I need to make more templates. Uh-huh. And I think it will be more like I'm always trying to. Uh, recently, I've been or historically, I've been writing template emails as like a what is an email I could send to anyone, and making yeah. the language very versatile instead of saying what is an email. And then maybe I have three introduction paragraphs, three body. Do you know what I mean? And like right. fill in the details here. Like do your like 80% solution. So yeah. you can still personalize it. And like more intentionally sort of include parts that you can delete. Um, I remember, yeah. I think it's Saunders, one of his videos on building template uh, cam. cam. Yeah. And he's basically like put in all the tool paths right. because it's very easy to delete tool paths. Right. Yeah. Similar ideas like put in all the ideas uh-huh um and then go delete them so i've sort of been trying to think more in that direction of like semi-automating yeah the email process I, it would probably end up not saving time in the long run but it just occurred to me that like you could color code the different paragraphs for like you know topic oh that would be cool or you know applicability to certain concepts or something right to like, so that you didn't accidentally leave something well, that's in there my that's like, for sure, not, you know, it's yeah. like a massive <laughs> like train of thought and then a paragraph stuck in the middle <laughs> that like has no relation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, for example, I like to sort of say to a customer, like, Hey, see the reviews of our product on these websites, mm-hmm. right? Cause like we have a bunch of reviews on different websites and some of them are in the bike industry some of them are in the overlanding industry and sure. like i want to make sure that i send them publications that they are familiar with yeah I'm not just like oh you're into overlanding <laughs> check out a bike packing yeah. <laughs> website and they're like i mean it still says positive things but it's right. less Doesn't, impressive yeah absolutely absolutely um, i've been kind of figuring this out either slowly for myself with cam templating as well yeah for mostly i haven't really dove into like templating actual tool pads too much okay it's mostly been about setups yeah um but it does seem like there's a sweet spot in there of like too much specificity or not enough built out and it's just interesting that like the too much specificity really is can be a problem if it's hard, if it's integral, if it's easy to delete out. Totally. No worries. I built some setup templates when I first started. It was like, all right, I'm going to build like the ultimate template. Yeah. Um, you know, like Rob Lockwood. Yeah. The container method. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh-huh. Um, super useful. Yeah. I think I didn't have the experience with the machine enough to know where exactly it would be useful. Uh (laughs) And so I tried to sort of make it do everything with parameters and it's like, it's so cumbersome. (laughs) I I stopped using it basically. Yeah. Um, And so I think that was sort of the same reason. Like, I don't think that was a failure on my part necessarily. I think I picked, like if you look at the the gradient from zero automation to full automation, Mm -hmm. I think I picked the wrong point to aim for Mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Right, because like the big issue with automation typically is flexibility. Yeah, like that is the big issue. Like if you set up a robot to build cars, it is way harder to have it build seven cars than to build one. But it is even harder <laughs> to have it go sweep the floor <laughs> <laughs> or wash the windows or yeah, yeah, <laughs> or make coffee or right. Like yeah. these are all things that people can do, <clears throat> and that is 
legitimately the big reason Toyota avoids automation is lack of flexibility. Not completely avoids it. I mean, just in 2008, I think the big learning from 2008 on their truck building plant that was mostly automated was that in a downturn, you have too much capital tied up in something that can't be... um, Can't produce. Can't do something else if it's not producing. Yeah. Yeah. Like people can work on improvements. Yeah. Robots can't. Yet. <clears throat> yeah. Or n- maybe improvements or even just like work on developing a new car that suits the new market. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, a <clears throat> maybe same book. Um, there was this idea. No, it was a shop tour. Which shop tour was it? I believe it was uh, a person getting the name personal shop tour or YouTube shop. No, tour? YouTube shop tour. Yeah. Um, AME. I want to say hmm. anyway, that's the, like the group that does the shop tours okay. associated with Paul Akers. Or, mm. um, and they said that the big source of the source of defects is fr- comes from changes in operating conditions basically. Uh-huh. And that, so they flagged, <coughs> I forget if this was original or if they were copying someone else. Yeah. I feel like we're all basically copying other people more or less most of the time, even if you don't know. Um, so they look out for any change in man material or machine. Yeah. Right. Did you change the machine you're using to achieve this task? Is the material different? Is there a change in personnel? Mm -hmm. And I think this is really useful because it can start to be a leading metric instead of a trailing metric in that you can't like, I think what's happening most of the time I know for us is you go, Oh, we just saw this defect. Yeah. What happened? Then you go back and you say, oh, right. We changed our material supplier (laughs) or like this happened when we switched from our previous aluminum supplier to you. Right. You actually cut the material to size, whereas they were like 0.1 inches oversized all the time. And so all of our trays suddenly were too loose when we switched material suppliers. And like that was, you know, that was an issue that we had to resolve. And I think this can sort of. I thought I put it in here because it's useful to start analyzing these things to, to generalize the information and the learning. And I think that's a cool one. It's like mm-hmm. anytime there's a change in personnel material, you know, people are, or yeah, you mean, say? so what you're Man, saying material machine, like pause, pause and check, pause, give it more time. Yeah like maybe do a higher QC inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think we've gotten better at that on the CNC. It's like if we make new, a new gripper jaw or a new, new set of soft jaws. Yeah. Right. Like whatever you've changed, it's sort of like losing, banishing the, uh, ignorant, uh, <laughs> assumption that like oh i can't think of anything logically that changed so it's fine full yeah. send <laughs> <clears throat> yeah like if you, yeah it's sort of like okay yeah always always slow down slow down yeah always overall check. it's faster yeah uh yeah i find that particularly particularly the case when working with the like hand programmed macros when you're like okay i changed this thing that is supposed to change this one aspect Right. And I want to assume that all the other aspects are unchanged, but you can never assume. <laughs> yeah. Especially so, when like for me, I'm like definitely like a 
a blind like bull in a china shop <laughs> doing programming <laughs> and so <laughs> it's i like, don't think it's you i think anyone you're handwriting numbers and those numbers in this case are very critical that they're correct if you misplace a decimal if you like, yeah yeah it's it, like it's that i just found it very i was working on it this last week and like tracking state yeah of like 10 different variables in your head while also trying to like read other variables was yeah it's a thing yeah, it's really hard. I think there's something, there's an issue here where the programs we're writing are so simple uh-huh. that there is a, there's no, there's no, uh, there, it feels like there's no need to, ha- to use like industry tools, mm-hmm. right? Like we have like what? 30 lines of code, 50 lines of code in these programs. Sure. Yeah. I mean, not in the program that's cutting the part, but in the program that's sort of running the automation. Yeah. Whereas, you know, something else might have like a hundred thousand lines of code Yep. there. You can't track this. You're not going like, Hmm, let me hold all these variables in my head. Like, yeah. so there are like state maps. Right. Um, there are like, there are tools for software and systems development. I've sort of started been learning. Um, they're kind of interesting. Yeah. But you, you had a big, uh, big moment. Which one? Uh, well with, the gripper you've been working oh, yeah. on for quite a while. Yeah, I was going to keep that for our next episode, but oh, oh, as an improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, tune in on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> Devin's big news. Um, <laughs> but we did uh, follow up on last week. You and I were discussing probing. Maybe it was last week or the week before. Yeah, probing and whether you could just like output <clears throat> a position check out of Fusion. Yeah, so this is like get the machine to validate that a piece of material is present. Yeah. Essentially. And we tested it and what we discovered was with at least with the post that you have, which is a little out of date at this point, but definitely probably like kinda, two years. I kinda doubt it's been fixed based on what I my understanding of okay. the, the Autodesk brother speedio post. We discovered that it was outputting a variable that has nothing to do with the macros. Um, and so it, and then you physically tested it by putting something out of position and it didn't do anything. Yeah. So that was interesting. So don't trust your post just because it says it does a thing or don't trust the, yeah. In cam, there was a window that basically said, enter the tolerance and if it's out of tolerance, what do you want to happen? And I was like, stop the machine. Right. Yeah. Just well, I think there's a window for that. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't be, mean exactly. Yeah. Just because there's a window and it doesn't alarm when you post the code, an error doesn't yeah. mean it works. It's a little frightening. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the like material man, material machine. <laughs> yeah, I crashed my probe this last week. Oh, did, that's a bummer. Did I mention that? No, the body, or did you just break off the tip? The body. Ah, yeah. Luckily, I. Well, I would say I'm a ninja on the feed hold. Okay. But not quite a ninja because if I was a real ninja, it wouldn't have touched. <laughs> <laughs> I see. But it doesn't seem to have done. Damage. I was enough of a ninja that it didn't alarm. It like, it didn't overload the axis. Okay. It did touch and there's a dent oh. and the tip of the probe, like, you know how you have the ring on the end and then a glass ring and then yep. the body, mm-hmm. the ring on the end is notably cocked. On, okay. on the glass ring compared to the rest of it. Oh. Um, Damn. So, but I was able to take it off the holder, clean everything, 
get it redialed in to zero and it still triggers and seems to work perfect and calibrated it and it like repeats and stuff so it's the beauty of kinematic mounts <laughs> it's not over constrained yeah uh but it was due to a post-processor error oh. that cause I'm working, I was, I was doing post-testing um, <clears throat> and going back to like, just don't assume mm-hmm. it had a line in it that looked like it would be fine. I was aware of this, that this was maybe different okay. than, than how it's been in the past. Not to get too into the weeds, but the bloom macros have a A zero and an a one mode okay. for whether you're just, setting a WCS or whether you're running like measuring verification operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the post had been edited um, and no shade on the person doing the editing. Cause there's, this is the I, process. Went, I went back through the, the manual and there's nowhere that it said not to do this particular thing. But when uh, I had, I had the post edited so you could switch back and forth between a zero and a one mode. Yep. When it's in A0 mode, it outputs an A0 in the line. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that makes things go really weird. Um, oh. So I think it defaults to A0. Gotcha. And then maybe when there's another A call and it's not a one, it does something weird. So That's basically, odd. it switched it back to absolute mode. Ooh. Yeah. And so instead of going <laughs> half an inch down... It went it two point five to negative point five. Ouch! It was trying to anyway. Didn't right. make it. Um, so that was just yeah another one of those things where you're like, it looks right. I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> so I think it. just zooming out for all the people who are not running a CNC have no idea what we just talked about. Yeah, I think the important like the 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 point here sort of is like, not the point. The point for you is a more efficient workflow. But yeah, there is a there are a lot of barriers between where you were yeah and where you want to be yeah and coming back and it back. is very easy to just be like you know what it's not like we have a workflow that works yeah. let's just stick with it yeah coming back to the like making your employees walk through mud every day like i kind of get it <laughs> right <laughs> you know? totally even when you're the one making yourself walk through mud yeah because there's a lot of days where i'm like i'll just walk through mud today yeah i don't have time for this no totally i, I my brother was a different brother um and we spent most of a day trying to get an email to send from a QR code yeah. with while maintaining formatting. Uh-huh. Right. And if you uh, have a better way of doing this, <laughs> um, I would guess that the way to do it is to sort of trigger like uh, either a database or trigger like um, auto hotkey on windows. Okay. Some sort of like trigger automation rather than trying to build the whole thing into a QR code. Yep. It seems to be a bug with the iOS, like Apple phone mm. operating system of scanning the QR code. Interesting. But we had eventually succeeded I, I, with, I with some limitations. Um, <laughs> I received but, a very funny email. <laughs> yeah. My brother's sense of humor. Um, the, anyway, we, like I, so I have the tool. Yep. And I have he keeps asking me like, Hey, so have you used the thing yet? And right. I'm like, no, but I have been sending emails. So the question is kind of, so I have committed to myself. There's a few Kanbans that need an email generated. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I am not sending that email manually. That is going to be from a QR code because it's so easy to just like in the moment, I have a lot of things on my to-do list today. Yeah. I just need to get them done. It's going to take me five minutes to write this email 
or it could take me 10 minutes to make a QR code, then send the email. Yeah. I'm just going to send the email. Right. And so that's these QR the walking in mud. <laughs> yeah. The QR codes that you're doing, they are redoing a pre-generated email. You scan it and it basically opens your mail app yeah. in your phone, enters the address where it's getting sent to, enters yeah. the subject, enters the body of the text. Right. And then you need to hit send. But you have to have all that stuff pre-written. It's not yeah. like you can configure the QR code to like, I don't know enough about this you process. You pre-configure it, right? So you have to write this whole thing into a form. Okay. It gets converted into a QR code. Mm. That QR code generates one email. Yeah. And that's it. There's yeah. no like. Okay, but it's a form. That's where you're initially putting in the information. Yeah. So it was gotcha. tricky to get it to write an email in the right format with line breaks yeah. and all that. Um, <laughs> code is so funny. Like I'm such a baby with oh, programming. Same. Yeah. But all the little things you take for granted where you're like, oh, you need a, yeah, you need it's a space here. brutal. You yeah. need a comma. Ugh. You know, skip a line. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Why is this so hard? Yeah. And then you're looking up like proper syntax for next line. Yeah. And, oh, this needs to be written in HTML, not in plain text, even though on the screen they look the same. Uh -huh. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Interesting. Um, Yes. Lastly, I think, um, for this episode, um, we have the whip board mm -hmm. for work in process so that we're all, so that everyone is working on ideally one project at a time Yep. and just getting it across the finish line or deciding for very good reasons that it is not something we want to pursue. Yep. Um, for a while now, I've been trying to figure out what should, and we have talked about this on the podcast, what should count as that time that you're run, making improvements. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been doing it slightly wrong. So I had a, a moment of clarity, which is basically, <coughs> which we talked about earlier, like single loop versus double loop learning. Mm -hmm. Anything that is regular business functions, doing that is not an improvement. Yeah. I think it has to be improving how those functions function that counts as that one hour. Um, so like right now my focus has been, um, a, a new buckle mm -hmm. and that's kind of all I've been working on. Mm -hmm. But I realized like R and D is an ongoing business function and really that hour should go to, issues in the process I've been running into with designing this new buckle, right? Whether mm. that's like refining how I send files to the 3d printer. So it takes just a little bit less time every day. Yeah. Whether that is, um, working on how we go through our R and D process and what that sort of SOP, what that system looks like. Interesting. Right. And not doing the thing it feels. And, and, and again, like I think it's still a judgment call because like building the loft in our shop. Yeah. That isn't going to improve how we do it. But if you think about building a loft as sort of a plant improvement is like not plant improvement, like that is an ongoing business function, sort of like facilities, right? Like it's running a, electrical a very fuzzy line. I think, yeah, like, I think it is yeah. a fuzzy line and that's why I'm talking about yeah. it. Right. Like I think I've been struggling with this, but I think really, even in like facilities management, right? We need a new building. We need whatever. It's like that hour should be like, 
okay, in building that new building, we're running into this issue over and over. Mm-hmm. Can let's solve that issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's improve how we submit a, a, a like a zoning proposal because every time we run do this yeah we get the same pushback can right. we solve that problem let's call the office like do you know what i mean rather than a, like doing the work i don't know it's weird because it assumes that you have time for both because you like you still need to do but the point is you don't ever have time and so you just well, have to make like no but you can't do one at the expense of the other right like if if like whatever R&D is an ongoing business thing. Um, if you completely stop doing R&D because you're trying to, like, you ha- it has to be in balance, I guess is all I'm saying. I'm saying for that one hour of improvements every day. Yeah. Or 30 minutes, whatever the number is. Right. It should not be regular business functions. It yeah. should be improving how those functions happen. Sure. I think. And yes, there are fuzzy, weird edge cases of, like, you can't, like you could keep doing that recursively all the way down of mm-hmm. like right. improving, 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 improving. <laughs> yeah. Improve yeah. how we improve, how we improve, how we improve. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like for sure. An infinity screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like two mirrors held face to face. Basically <laughs> like that. So um, anyway, not sure that's clarifying, but I don't know. I kind of, yeah. Interesting. It was striking to me. So it's a cool thing to think about. I, you know, I really hadn't thought about, that distinction. Um, yeah, I've sort of been wrestling with it for a while. I, I may continue not to think about it for a while, just for my own sanity. <laughs> yeah. I think the question is, yeah. I mean, like to the walk, walking in mud mm-hmm. analogy. Yeah. It's sort of like, is this a path we n- need to, to walk as a mm-hmm. common function. Yeah. And if it is, yeah, maybe snow is a better, right? <laughs> it snows every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and is it, uh, yeah, clearing it's... the path. Oh, well, this is why it's fuzzy. Yeah. Clearing the path, if it snows every day, is a regular business function. So yeah. then you would improve how you clear the path. Right. But then does that become a... And the point, and interestingly, I think Toyota realized that you do... Like the way they do improvements did become a regular business function. Mm -hmm. And so then they started improving how you make improvements, which is like a three. Yeah. And so like you can keep doing it all the way down and it turns out to be very impactful because as you develop those systems, they, they, they impact more things. Yeah. Like something I think about a lot in terms of value add, like if you're picking a career is sort of, how many people interact with your work product, mm-hmm. right? Like if you make a burger, mm-hmm. one person eats that burger. Right. If you build a griddle mm-hmm. or if you design how burgers are made or if you design the packaging that the burger comes in or if you build a machine that makes buns. Yeah. Anyway, like I, I used to sew bags for, I used to sew bags. Yeah. Those bags were R&D for other companies, so there was a pattern set. And so they actually used that bag that I made Mm -hmm. to make thousands of bags. Yeah. If you get paid as a bag sewer for making an individual bag, the pay is substantially lower per bag. (laughs) Anyway. 
Yeah. With that. With that. Probably a good place to wrap it up. Yes. Thanks all for listening. Um, you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing. Find me at lichen underscore MFG. On Instagram, both of those. And then the podcast at incremental CI, also on Instagram. And we will be back on Friday. Adios.